Amen. Amen. Hey, I want to start off this morning with uh, a few words from Matthew chapter 9. Matthew 9, beginning at verse 35 and verse 36. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Father God, we again acknowledge your presence, humbly come into it. And God, we know your word is alive and it's active, Lord. We know it's sharper than a double-edged sword. We know that it will not return to itself void. And God, I I pray that right now that uh, as your word goes out, as the seed of your word goes out, that it will find fertile soil. God, I pray you just break up our hard hard ground and and make it fertile for your word. Um, God, may there not be soil that's rocky or soil that's going to be choked out by the worries of this life. I pray, God, that the enemy is not allowed to snatch away what you have for your people today. God, help each of us to know uh, that whenever your word is open, there's an opportunity to hear from you. God, ask for your help to preach in a way that brings you honor. And God, please forgive the one standing up here speaking of his sins, for they are many. Thank you for your mercy. It's new every morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, today is week four in our, our series Name Above All Names. And it's a series where we are unpacking the various titles or names given to Jesus so that we can know a little bit better the one who we claim to follow. And, and listen, knowing Jesus is what life is all about. At least it's what life should be all about for those who claim to follow him. And understand, if Paul, who had many personal encounters with Jesus, if Paul, who intensely served Jesus and suffered for Jesus, and if Paul ultimately gave his life for Jesus, would say this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, if Paul could say, I want to know Christ, then I contend that there's a lot more Jesus, there's a lot more Christ that each and every one of us could get to know. And let's not forget what Jesus prayed in the garden in John chapter 17, verse 3. He says this, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. Now, eternal life doesn't just mean, it's not just about uh, quantity as in forever. It also means quality as in life in all its abundance. Or we could say, as we talked about last week, it could mean a life of shalom, a life of completeness, of wholeness, a life that is flourishing where nothing is missing. Now, the name of Jesus that we're going to unpack today is one that actually gives us to himself in John chapter 10, um, the Good Shepherd. However, before we dive into that, I, I want us to consider uh, the statement right here. One of the greatest needs today among Jesus' followers is for us to really see and really believe the things we already profess to see and believe. Understand, it is essential for you, it's essential for me, it's essential for everybody that's in the room with you to really see and really believe that Jesus is the Word become flesh. That he came in the flesh to reveal God, to show us who we can become, and to defeat death, sin, or the grave, and, and, and to 
be able to understand everything we're going through. It's essential for us to really see and believe that, that Jesus is mighty God, Emmanuel, that Jesus is sovereign, that he's in control, that there's nothing that is too hard for him. And it is essential for us to really see and really believe that, that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that, that Jesus can bring you peace, that he can bring you peace with God, and he can bring you the peace of God so that your life is flourishing, complete, not lacking in anything. And if we don't really see it and really believe it, then those truths will not impact our lives the way that God intends. Get it? Good. Again, in John chapter 10 is where we find this title for Jesus. And I I, I want to put uh, chapter 10 in its context. And remember, when it comes to understanding the Bible, context is king, right? Uh, And and let me just give you an example. Suppose you read something that I wrote on Facebook. I ran my children over. That could sound pretty bad, right? But the rest of the sentence was, I ran my children over to their friend's house to hang out, right? So context matters a lot. You're thinking, oh my gosh, he got his car, ran his kids over. Let me call 911 and get this sucker, right? Okay, so that's why context is king. And so the... Entire context of John chapter 9 is about Jesus healing this guy who's born blind. Now, during this guy, he's hanging along the side of the road. And and when Jesus' disciples, when they first see him, uh, they ask Jesus a question. They see this guy suffering, and they say, hey, Jesus, hey, who sinned? Was it this guy here, or or was it his parents who sinned? You see, they want to know why, right? Like we do, right? We always want to know the why behind our suffering. And, And Jesus makes this statement it's so powerful. He says, neither this man nor his parents sin, said Jesus. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. And if that's not highlighted in your Bible or your Bible app, I encourage you to do that. And you know what the works of God's are? Uh, to display God's glory, to, to show the world how awesome he is. And, and listen, just like this guy, Sometimes some not so fun, not so good, not so enjoyable stuff happens in your life and mine for this very same reason. So that we have an opportunity to display God's glory. So that we have an opportunity to show just how how good, how powerful, and how present our God is, even in the midst of some really difficult and trying situations. You see, Displaying God's glory is many times the why in our suffering. You're thinking, why is this happening to you? Maybe it's not because you did anything wrong, right? And it's not because God is mad at you. It's not because God likes other people better than you. It's because God wants to display his glory through your life. Well, then Jesus, after answering their question, he, he stoops down and he, he spits on the ground and he makes some mud. I think that takes a lot of spit, and even though that is divine spit, it's still spit, right? And he puts it on the guy's eyes. He says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. The guy immediately does that, and immediately his eyes can see. Um, maybe there's something with obedience, right, and doing it quickly that uh, is a good thing. And uh, I don't know about you, but I think spitting all, this is a good thing, right? I mean, like, like who, who could look at a, a blind guy, blind from birth, being able to see and think that's a bad thing? I'll tell you who. Uh, God's religious leaders, uh, the Pharisees. 
As crazy as it sounds, these are religious leaders. They, they believed that this guy being born blind and going home seeing was a bad thing because it was done on the Sabbath. But more importantly to them, because it, it didn't fit with their rules. It didn't fit with their traditions. It didn't fit with how they think things should be done in their church. So instead of celebrating this blind guy receiving a sight, they begin holding hearings, investigations. They, they, they bring this guy in and they begin to give him the third degree, right? You know, there he is. I found a picture of him right there. Yeah, he has some really nice tattoos. There's a guy right there. Um, and they ask him, hey, hey, who healed you? He said, I don't know who healed me, right? And, and they bring in his parents and his parents are afraid to answer the questions because his parents are afraid, you, you know what, if we, we could get kicked out of the synagogue. So they bring the guy in a second time. And, and, and I really love this guy. He's like, hey, are you not listening? I told you I don't know who healed me. You guys are killing me. Well, what, do you guys want to be his followers too? And they didn't like that very much. He says, hey, this is all I know. I once was blind, but now I see. Well, eventually things get so heated up that, that he's kicked out of the synagogue, and, 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 and Jesus finds the guy, makes sure he's okay, and then Jesus turns his attention to the Pharisees and, and kind of letting them know and calling them out for their ungodly behavior. Letting them know that, hey, you, you may not be physically blind, but you are spiritually blind. That's the context for John chapter 10. You see, right after Jesus tells these religious leaders that, hey, you know what, you're actually blind, Jesus then, he gives this allegory, um, you know, and he's teeing off the idea of shepherding, which was one of the three major economies in Palestine next to farming and fishing. And Shepherding, you know, throughout the Old Testament, God had called on, on his leaders to shepherd his people. And many times God would say, hey, I am your ultimate shepherd. And so that's the context of John 10, all right? And something you need to keep in mind, you know, is that uh, before the 13th century, there were no chapter divisions in the Bible. You had the book of Leviticus, boom, that's it. The book of Isaiah, boom, that's it. In the 14th century, somebody put chapter divisions in the Bible. And then in the 15th century, rather 16th century, somebody put verses in it. So it's kind of crazy. I, I don't know what they did at football games behind the goalposts when they couldn't put a poster that said John 3.16. Though the verse was there, you could say, man, I love John 3.16, right? You couldn't you could do that because there were, oh, you just say, hey, I love John, and it's somewhere in the middle, this paragraph here towards the end, the bottom of the page. And so I think chapter divisions are a good thing. But the Bible, sometimes we think when a chapter ends, it's like a new story. But the story continues. And so Jesus is just, he just called out these guys. Now here comes the allegory. So I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate and climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. You know, a thief is someone who steals by being sneaky. A robber is someone who steals by being, by being violent. The man who enters by the gate is a shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Do you need to be let out of something this morning? Maybe you do. When he's brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they, interestingly, like when a, 
at night, a shepherd would, like, it'd be like three different shepherds. They put all their sheep together, you know. They don't put name tags on them, you know, like a kid check-in at church, right? And they all go into this fold, all, all mixed up. And when it's time to leave, the shepherd will call. I love to see this happen. And the only sheep that come out from among all those three flocks are his very own because they recognize his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used his figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I am the gate. Now, when you think of gate, you probably think of a gate. Right? You think of something made of wood that has hinges and swings open. That's not what they would have thought of in the first century. You see, when a, when a shepherd at the end of the night would put his sheep into a fold, it was usually a cave, and the gate would be the entrance to the cave, and the actual gate would be the shepherd. He would lie down at that opening with his staff and his club. Therefore, if any sheep wants to get out, he has to go over him. If any thief or robber wants to come in, he has to go over him. I tell you the truth, I'm the gate of the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers. Talking to the Pharisees. Uh, but the sheep did not listen to them. I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when the wolf comes, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep, right? He doesn't own it. Jesus owns the sheep. Here's a question for you. Uh, you have your car or a rental car, and a heavy downpour starts, and your power windows do not go up. Is there any difference between how you react and how quickly you react, whether it's your car or a rental car? I remember one time in Florida, monsoon was about to come, and my power windows would not go up. I was a madman running into my house to get garbage bags that covered up. If it was a rental car, I may have done it, but I don't think I'd have ran so quickly or done such a thorough job. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. He's talking about the Gentiles now. And there'll be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from the father. May God bless and may the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit stir the reading of his word. Jesus twice refers to himself as the good shepherd. And I, I, I just want to unpack two statements uh, as we try to understand this and grab some truths for our lives. Uh, number one, we are sheep. And our sense, sheep are not, are not fearless, rugged creatures whose character inspires greatness. On the contrary, they're passive, dependent blobs of wool. And in fact, I don't know of any sports team that has a mascot or name of a sheep. I, I, I went online this week and to try to find the weirdest and funniest names of sports teams. Here's a few of them. You have the Fighting Camels, you know, from Campbell University in North Carolina. This is a really good one right here. University of California, Santa Cruz, Banana Slugs. Go Slugs! Now, Banana Slug is actually 10 inches long and... It lives about one to seven years and weighs 14.1 ounces, 4.1 ounces, okay, banana slug. Here's another one. 
Mary Baldwin College, fighting squirrels. Let's go, squirrels. It gets even better. Here, you got this right here. I love this one here. The fighting artichokes, right? Scotts, Arizona. There's an even better one. Delta State fighting okra. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. And here's, here's one. Savannah sand gnats. Don't we just love gnats? Gnats and okra, but not one sheep. Not one sheep. You know, the Bible calls us sheep about 200 times in the Bible. I have a couple books in my office about sheep because I've never heard it sheep. I've had lamb chops once and it was really good, okay? Um, but I've never, I've never heard it sheep. But um, one is called Song of the Shepherd by Mark Todd. The other is A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. One's a pastor, one is a scientist and ex-sheep rancher. So I, I share these truths about sheep, not from personal experience, but from guys who do. Here's some things about sheep. Uh, sheep are notorious followers, right? You got a flock of sheep and say, say Bob starts jumping. Next thing you know, all the sheep are jumping. And they're saying, hey, why are you jumping? Well, Bob started jumping. Why is Bob jumping? I don't know, but if Bob's going to jump, I'm going to jump. They just follow, right? That herd instinct takes over. A sheep are helpless. And that's why whenever a, a, a sheep is away from the fold, you know what that says to a wolf? Dinner is served. I'll take my lamb chop combo supersize, right? Because they're feeble creatures. Their only defense is to run, and they can't run that fast because they just can't, and because they can't see that far. They are actually almost blind. They can only see about uh, 15 yards in front of them. Sheep are also very hard-headed. And the very big ones, you know, the big, the big horn mountain ones, you know what they like to do for fun? They like to bang their heads together, right? Right? I hear it really impresses the lady sheep, right? But that would give me a headache. But maybe the reason it doesn't give them a headache is because, uh, how do I, I word this, that the, there's a lot of extra space in their cranial uh, cavity. They are airheads. Sheep are, sheep are dumb. They're stupid. And before you accuse me of sheepism, uh, animal prejudice are called PETA on me. Consider some of the following activities of sheep. Sheep will graze the same hill over and over again until they turn it into a wasteland. You want to know why sheep and shepherds were not popular back in the day? Because they destroyed everything. A sheep will keep walking the same trail until they make a rut that they fall into. Uh, they pollute their own ground until it's full of disease and parasites. Sheep have no homing instincts, right? A dog and a bird, right? Cat can find their way home. If a sheep gets lost, it's a goner unless the shepherd goes to find it. And maybe perhaps my favorite is, you know how dogs like to roll over, you know, on their back. You know, you scratch their belly. And, well, sheep like to do that too, but a, a, a sheep is not as agile as a dog. They're so heavy, top heavy. They, when they roll over, they can't roll back over. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing because now they are, you are going to call PETA on me. But <laughs> what happens is, if they're not turned over by their shepherd, eternal gases build up inside of them, and they die. So if a sheep rolls over on its back, it dies, and guess what they keep doing? They keep rolling over on their back, right? Um, sheep are helpless, stupid animals. And throughout the Bible, you refer to as a sheep. And like it or not, there's a strong family resemblance, right? And we, 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 we share their natural tendency to follow, right? You know, 
I mean, just think of the clothes people wear, right? Or hairstyles, right? I mean, hairstyles look different in the, you know, in the 80s than they do now, right? Clothes look different. I remember I used to have glasses that, you know, I mean, they're like goggles, right? They were like this stinking big. I covered my whole face. Actually, used to wear a sock tie. Remember, I, it, he had sock ties, and, you know, it, it's crazy, right? Or the way people cut their hairs, we just follow. Um, and if it was just a matter of style, it wouldn't be so bad. But uh, people routinely surrender their will to someone in order to run after the flock, to go after the crowd. Now, right and wrong is now determined by the latest poll. And whatever one else thinks or does is what we think or do. We simply fall in line, running with the rest of the flock, wherever our little woolly legs will carry us. Sheep, they're like everywhere, aren't they? And like sheep, we can be very nearsighted at times, right? Like, like we only live for like what is right in front of us. And like sheep, we can be very stubborn and hard-headed and unmovable. I mean, we can choose to do something that we know is bad for us, but we just keep on doing it. Philip Keller in his book says this, they remind me very much of a bunch of sheep I watched one day who were being led down to a magnificent mountain stream. The snow-fed waters were flowing pure and clear and crystal clear between lovely banks of trees. But on the way, several stubborn ewes and their lambs stopped instead to drink from a small, dirty, muddy pools beside the trail. The water was filthy and polluted. Not only was, the, was there churned up mud from the passing sheep, but even the manure and urine of previous flocks that had passed that way. Still, these stubborn sheep were quite sure it was the best drink obtainable. The Bible says, or almost says, there's a way that seems right to a sheep, but the end it only leads to death. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, okay, okay. I, I, I know there's fresh water up ahead, but I don't care. I prefer the drink out of this polluted, contaminated water of my bitterness, of my addiction, of my selfishness, of my need for the approval of others. Yes, we are sheep, and sheep need a good shepherd. And the sad truth is that God's people not always had a good shepherd. Yeah. Matter of fact, a lot of them really were bad. Ezekiel, in his 34th chapter of his book, he paints a picture, really a picture of these Pharisees who Jesus was calling out, you know, the ones who climbed over the fence with their own motives and agenda, the ones who ran when trouble came to save their own hides, the, the one who do not give life to God's people will make it, who actually make it harder to follow. As we read, then this message came to me from the Lord, prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel, give them this message from the sovereign Lord, or he's calling them out. It's not a, he's not happy with them. He says, destruction is certain. He says this, you've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the broken bones. You've not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with force and cruelty. So my sheep have been scattered without a shepherd. They're easy prey for any wild animal. Now, do you think that was easy for God to, to watch people he cared about being tended by such lousy shepherds? I don't think so. I mean, I mean imagine if you, you hired someone to watch your children and you're a thousand miles away. And all you can do is watch on a webcam as they mistreat your children. That would be very difficult. And that's why, as Ezekiel finishes that chapter, God says, hey, you know what? At the right time, at the perfect time, guess who's going to come? I'm going to come, and I'm going to shepherd my people. It's a prophecy about the coming of Jesus. He says this, 
For this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search and find my sheep. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. I will give them good pasture land on the high hills of Israel. They will lie down in pleasant places and feed in lush mountain pastures. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the church. He's talking about being a Jesus follower. I myself will tend my sheep and cause them to lie down in peace and shalom, says the Lord Almighty. I will search for my lost ones who strayed away. I'll bring them safely home again. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. In this way, they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And they will know that they, that they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the Lord. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God, says the sovereign Lord. And 2,000 years ago, in the person of the Son, God showed up to be our shepherd. And when he showed up, you know what he saw? He, he was full of compassion because he saw people who were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. But the good news is they didn't have to stay that way anymore. Sick, harassed, and helpless because the good shepherd has come. He knows their voice. He calls them by name. He searches until he finds them. He leads them out. He rescues them. He lays down his life for them, and he gives them life in all its fullness. Yes, we are sheep, and we need a good shepherd. And the amazing thing is God wants to be our shepherd. Now, now why would God put up with all the headache and heartache of such rebellious, stubborn people as you and me? Well, why would God extend his hands towards people who keep slapping his away? Why would God put up with our moods, our grumbling, our stubbornness, and our constant wandering off into sin? Why would he be willing to lay down his life to be our shepherd? Be honest, I have no clue as to why. Yeah, I could say because of love. But listen, I cannot comprehend a love like that. Like that song we sing, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he would give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Now, it would be impossible for the hearers back then or even us today to think of the good shepherd without thinking of Psalm 23. And as we, we wrap up, uh, I just want to share some truths from that Psalm, Psalm 23, that Jesus wants to do in your life. Truth number one is Jesus wants to be your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Repeat after me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. Amen. Now, fortunately, some people read that and think, oh, well, God's my shepherd. I get all my desires, right? God, here's my list. But that's not what it means. Actually, the better translation would be, the Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything else. See, David affirms what we tend to forget and our constant quest for more and more and more. That when we have God, we have everything we need. We'll not be in want because we don't want anything else beside him. And we do want him. All of us do, even you. Right? I understand as human beings, our greatest need is to know the Lord. We can deny it. We can hide it. We can suppress it. We can try to substitute it with something inferior. But deep within each of us, we know that there is a thirst and a hunger that only he can satisfy. Next, Jesus wants to provide you nourishment. Repeat after me. He makes me lie down in green pastures. What do sheep eat? They eat grass, right? And our shepherd leads us a place that has all the nourishment we need, right? 
Now, what kind of sheep lies down in green pasture? A sheep that's already done what? It's full. Right? <laughs> he's already eaten. That's why he's lying down. Because if, if he hasn't eaten, he's not lying down. He's standing up and eating. Right? Jesus wants to provide your nourishment. Jesus wants to give you peace and rest. He leads me beside quiet waters. Because sheep can't swim very well, they're very terrified by, and they got wool too, right? They're terrified by fast-moving water. So oftentimes a, a shepherd will even make a dam to calm the water so it actually calms the sheep. You see, Jesus wants to lead you beside quiet waters. He, he'll build a dam if necessary. He wants to calm the things in your life that are terrifying you. He wants to give you peace and rest. He wants you to come to him when you're weary and heavy burden, and he'll give you rest. Jesus wants to restore your soul. He restores my soul. Question, do things like traffic, kids, spouses, parenting, jobs, finances, life, coronavirus, social distancing, <laughs> at times dry up your soul, deplete your strength, and suck the life right out of you? Uh, Jesus wants to restore your soul. Interestingly, that term used there, it actually means to cause something to turn. Sometimes it's actually translated as convert or repent. And the idea what David is trying to get apart, he's trying to get across here, is that our soul is restored when we turn away from the things of the world and we turn toward God. When we turn away from them and we turn toward God, then he's able to restore our souls. Like, where and how does God restore your soul? Sometimes in worship and church. But I, you know where I think God's favorite way to restore your soul is? When you pull away from the world, get alone by yourself with him and his word and his worship and prayer. Uh, Jesus wants to give direction to your life. He leads me in paths that are right for his namesake. You, you ever need a direction? You ever been on the wrong road but didn't know you're on the wrong road? Have you ever been at a place where you don't know what to do, what path to take? See, see the God leads us in paths, but not, not just in paths. He leads us in paths that are right, and he does it for two reasons. First, because the paths that are right are the paths that will lead you to life. And second, he does it for his name's sake. What, what, what does that mean? It means that when, when people see God's people walking on right paths, uh, and finding life in all its fullness, it reveals to the world, right? It reveals to the world just the kind of shepherd our God is and the kind of life that he can, he can bring, right? For his name's sake, right? When we, he shows us what to do, and we're walking that life, living that life, having that joy, having that peace. It's a picture to them. Jesus wants to walk with you in dark times. <clears throat> Even though I walk with you, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, interestingly, the word death, death does not, is not there. Uh, the word means a deep, dark, and difficult trial, uh, of which death is. And did you notice the shift in pronouns, right? Uh, the first three verses, it's all he, right? The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Now it gets personal. Uh, David doesn't say he is with me. He says what? You are with me. And, and I think the point is that you, God goes before us 
when the paths are somewhat smooth, but when things get difficult, he's right there beside us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so we don't have to be afraid, right? I mean, what would that be like to not be afraid? And no fear of aging or death, no fear of disease or hunger, no fear of any person, no fear of even losing your possessions. And what, 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 would it, what would it look like? What would it be like to, to live without fear in a world dominated by fear? Well, what would it be like for God's people right now? You know, there's a lot of fear in our world today, right? What would it be like for the world to look at God's people, and we're not just so out there pointing fingers and blaming everybody, but we're living a life without fear. Everybody's dominated by fear, but you're not afraid because you know that God is walking with you. Jesus wants to protect and correct you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a, a three-foot club that would hang on his belt, and it was used a, a, two ways. One, to smack things that want to hurt sheep. The other was to Smack sheep so they don't hurt themselves, right? Yeah, he could, he could chunk that sucker, hit him in the head, right? We've all seen this cute picture right here. It, it, I've always loved this story. Uh, um, you know, oh, look at Jesus. A little lamb. He's just carrying him. It's so, you know why he's carrying the lamb? Because he broke the lamb's leg. What a shepherd would do, you had a lamb that constantly would, would get away. He would find it. He would break the leg. And then... That, that, that lamb would have to stay close by the shepherd. And even when the leg healed, guess what? He would not leave the shepherd, right? Your rod and your staff, they come from me. The staff you know, was a walking stick with a hook on it so he could, he could pull the lamb out of dangerous places. And we live in a world full of trouble that Jesus can pull us out of. You see, when Jesus is your shepherd, before anything can get to you, it has to go through him. Jesus wants to give you confidence over your enemies, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, don't think of table as a piece of furniture. Think of table as a, as a mat or a sheet, right? And the term enemy means one who harasses, who harasses with threats and abuse. And the term in the presence of carries the uh, carries meaning of drawing attention to something. Another form of the word, it means hilltop, all right? So, so, so here's the picture that he's trying to paint here, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That, that, that you have these enemies pursuing you. They're, they're, they're coming after you to hurt you. And not only are you not running, but you're on top of this hill. And you're having a picnic lunch, right? Not afraid of all. Just totally confident of your victory, even as your enemies pursue you, right? I think Stephen sat on that blanket as he was being stoned by the mob. Jesus wants to bless your life. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You see, when God blesses, it overflows. With God, it's always the best. The calf is always fattened. The robe is always royal. The joy is always unspeakable. The grace is always amazing. And the peace is always beyond understanding. And the word translated follow means to chase after something with unrelenting determination. I mean, God is after you, right? He's chasing after you right now. Not to hurt you, not to harm you, but to pour out his mercy and his goodness and his grace and his blessings on you. And finally, Jesus wants to be with you forever. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, when Jesus becomes your shepherd, you have a shepherd for life. 
He'll be with you always to the very end of the age. And guess what? When you choose to follow Jesus, and if you have chosen to follow Jesus, you are right now dwelling and you're forever. You're dwelling in his presence right now and you're dwelling in his presence forever. We are sheep and we need a good shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, I, I, I wonder what, what, what Jesus sees as he looks at your life and mine this morning. I don't know, but perhaps he would see someone who is feeling kind of harassed and helpless. Like sheep without a shepherd. Afraid, no peace, no rest, thirsty, hungry, unsatisfied, unsure of what to do, unsure of where to turn. Again, what does Jesus see? He sees people who are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And what is he doing? And what does he do when he sees the world right now? I think that describes our world, right? You know what Jesus is doing? He's looking everybody in the eye, and he's just telling them, I am here. I'm here to rescue you. I want to be your shepherd. I want to feed you. I want to protect you. I want to give you peace. I want to... I want to give you rest. I want to walk with you through those dark and difficult times. I want to help you to make the right decisions. I want to show you the right paths that you are to take. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. I want to go back to that quote at the beginning. One of the greatest needs today among Jesus' followers for us to really see and really believe the things we already profess to see and believe. Yeah, that's a good story. You know, you need to really believe that you're a sheep. That without Jesus, you really are helpless and harassed and that Jesus wants to be your good shepherd and that he wants to give you all these things, right? He says, I got you. I can take care of you. I am the good shepherd. And what is your response to him today? For those who are following, what's your response? Are you trying to shepherd yourself? (laughs) Sheep make a really lousy shepherd. Okay? They absolutely do. And if you've never surrendered to Jesus and you're doing life without him, you you may not want to call yourself a sheep. You're a sheep. And you don't have to do life alone. And I just encourage you to think about your walk with God. And if you'd like to talk about that, Right? You can, my email's at the top of the comments here. You can send me an email, you know, let me know. You, you can type in, hey, I want to follow Jesus, and, and I'll, I'll, give you, with, I'll give you a call. I'll contact you later on today. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and thank you. As we live in a world that is so messed up and as we struggle so much, God, I just pray, Lord, for everyone right now, that they. Listen to your spirit. And God, that they realize, Lord, that you know, if they're, they feel harassed and helpless and afraid and they rest and they need peace and they don't know what to do and they're so uncertain and every valley seems so dark and they feel so alone. God, that 
that you're extending your hand to reach out to them. And God, that your grace is for everybody and that your grace is amazing, God. And you have the ability to take all the broken places and pieces in our life and put them back together again. And God, I pray that as we sing this song that that the only two people that matter are us and you as we sing to you and cry out to you and thank you for who you are. And Holy Spirit, for those who need to respond in some way, God, help them not to say no, but to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.